podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the host and founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its members club for landlords and property investors to come and build profitable property portfolios that completely align with their goals. Oh my gosh, I have been reflecting and this podcast marks the 170th episode. That is a lot of podcasting time that I have done over the years. And well, has this podcast changed? But looking back and all the content I've put out around it, there is actually a whole back catalogue there just full of goodness from people within the industry who've taken their time to come and join me. I've put a lot of content out there as well. So I hope you've really, really, really enjoyed it. And long may this continue. So I have to tell you, this week, the members club doors are open. If you've not seen my marketing, if you've not seen all of the emails that are going around, this is me telling you that if you have wanted to come and join the members club for however long you've known about it, now is the time. The members club is £63 a month and what you get from the members club is at least three weekly live Q&As with me. So you can book onto those, you pop your questions in the questionnaire and then I answer them on the Q&A. And that guarantees that you will get your question answered. We'll have a good chat, I'll get to know you um, and we can put in place a strategy. You get access to all of my back class, my back catalogue of masterclasses so you can look at strategies on commercial, residential, service accommodation, HMOs. You can get strategies on how you can diversify across all different asset classes. One thing that I really do believe is that there isn't one right strategy that you should follow. So what I do is I signpost you in the right direction for your goals. We look at your goals, we look at what you are trying to achieve and I will advise you on what is right for you. As well as that, you get unlimited email support from my team and I. Each month we put out a new masterclass full of all information about up-to-date strategies, changes in legislation. You can come to them live if you want to come to the live recording, that's absolutely fine. And once a month, you get to come to the monthly goals workshop with my life coach, Mel Savage, who will coach you through setting the right goals for the month. As well as that, you get access to the community with all of my amazing other members. It is an incredible resource, an incredible resource. And this is the last time that I'm going to be offering it at £63 a month. And you will get that price for as long as you stay a member. So if you want to come and join, doors are closing midnight on Thursday. So you have to get in before that. You have to go to www.ncrealestatemembersclub.com. I'm going to put the link below. Don't hesitate. Come and join. I would love to see you in there. I'd love to get to know you and your property portfolio. So don't hesitate. Click the link. Come and join us. The sooner you join, the sooner you can get on a Q&A. Q&As are 
Well, they change on a monthly basis, but if you join today, you can come on the one tomorrow for Wednesday, or you can come on the one on Thursday. Really up to you. It's very flexible, but the more you get involved with those kind of things, the more success you have. So do make sure that you come and join this awesomely fabulous community. So there we have it. Members Club is opening. We've been working so hard as a team for, for the launch, so very excited for it. Have you been listening to the podcast recently I have had weeks of just incredible guests incredible guests I had Ben Elder who was the global director of valuations who did a great podcast on valuations I then had Danielle Bell and we had a very honest conversation about what's going on in the industry and how to find the right property and then I did a market predictions podcast with some awesome ladies and we went through everything about where we think the the market is going in the UK and what we think is going to happen and how our strategies have changed because of that. So if you've not listened to those yet, go back through. So I've not had a chance to catch up with you guys in person for a while. One of the big things that's happened over the last couple of weeks is that I went to leasehold tribunal on that flat in London online from New York. Leasehold tribunal online. Wow. That is a change of experience. Do you know how long we were in tribunal for? 17 minutes. One seven. That was it. The judge was not having any of it. Essentially slapped the wrists of the two solicitors who were there for the freeholder and the head leaseholder and basically told them to go away, sort it out, come back with a decision. Otherwise, the final hearing is going to be on the 22nd of September. Leaseholders really have been taken out of the loop uh, because the judge did not see why we were involved, but understood why we were there just so that we could hear what was going on. Really interesting experience. Actually done on quite old technology. I found that a bit uh, strange. I don't know if anybody um, remembers the old conference in conference calling systems where you have to phone in then you have to say your num your the pin code or what have you and then the password and then it asks you to say your name and then it announces you into the room so it's Natasha Collins has just joined the conference so strange it's like uh maybe use Microsoft 365 or Zoom but Anyway, absolutely fine. I just think the judge felt like it was a waste of his time. But if anybody has been to leasehold tribunal before, you will know that the judges tend not to really want to waste their time if things aren't do going properly or he feels that he or she feels that she's there and it shouldn't be, you know, it's sh sh they shouldn't be there. They're having their time wasted. They're going to be very snappy to get it, um, get it moving forward and go and tell everybody to go away and do their own things I don't ever think that leasehold tribunal is particularly scary I know that for a lot of people who don't know about it um tribunal sounds horrendous but it's not and even if you were to go to one of the tribunals held in person it's kind of an imposing room but again when you actually go through with things and you go through uh, the tribunal, it's not particularly scary. And again, they tend to happen pretty quickly. So hopefully by the winter, we will have a decision on whether we're moving forward with that roof and the externals and how much that's going to cost everybody. So really looking forward to getting that sorted because it is a time waste, complete time waste. And 
if you've listened to this podcast for long enough, you will know that I absolutely hate having my time wasted. Really hate it. Like, seriously, the most annoying thing. So I'm very glad to get that out of the way. So that's something that <sighs> still bubbles along. I actually thought that COVID would reduce the tension between all parties and that everybody would just agree to figure it out and get on with it but don't think that's that's not on the cards apparently so okay fine whatever we'll keep we'll keep going but I'm not going to waste too much more time on it because the judge has said leaseholders you don't need to do anything else so perfectly fine from my point of view so something I did want to do today because I am so many episodes in. That's that's years. That's years. I think this podcast has been going since 2017. So yeah, three years. One thing I haven't done in a while, probably for a long time, is reintroduce myself and give you my background story and how I've got to where I am today. I think that's quite important for you to know about me so that you know how I got here because sometimes what you see on social media or if you've listened to my podcast for a while it's all too easy to think that fabulous someone just turns up at a location or they turn up at a point in time and they've got success and everything seems to be going right and this that and the other without a real understanding of where that's come from and the work that's gone on behind. So I wanted to share that with you and how I got into the property industry, what I've worked on, what I've done, my struggles, the things that I've really loved, whether I would go back through it again. That's <laughs> something that I really um I really had to think about, especially uh with the with the state of the economy at the moment and a lot of consideration for people going into should they just go back to education and get retrained how does that work how does that look especially in the property industry so let me start way 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 back where I first um got into the property industry I got into the property industry by accident um through I was doing an undergraduate degree at the University of Worcester I was doing joint honors geography and computing that was a degree that I made up myself because during my A-levels, there was a lot of pressure, especially at my school, to get the highest A-level results and go to one of the top 10 universities in the UK and you must pick a subject and you must make all of these career decisions for the rest of your life. And do you know what? In at my A levels, I was like, nah, I'm not really interested in doing that. I picked four subjects for my A levels. I was doing computing, geography, history, and music. I dropped music in my first year of doing my A levels, so my AS, dropped it at that. And I then did joint honors computing, so I got two A levels in computing. And then I did my geography and history A-levels. And do you know what I did for those two years? Because I decided that I really wanted to make money, I got a job working at Dorothy Perkins. For all of those, all of you that uh, know Dorothy Perkins, I used to work in Dorothy Perkins in Bath. It was the shop above the Burtons. If anybody can remember that, it's now the NatWest on Stool Street. So it's no longer there. Um, 
And I loved making money. I just really loved it. Um, my parents didn't really give us any pocket money or, or what have you. They were like, if you want the, the stuff that's above and beyond, you have to go out and earn it. So I'd done paper rounds. And then when I was 15, I started working for a hotel and I chambermaided on a Saturday and Sunday morning. And I was like, no, nah, I don't like this anymore. I'm gonna get a Saturday job working in retail. I did. And then they said to me, Natasha, could you pick up some shifts during the week? I was like, sure can, because I'm going to get more money. So I would negotiate with my teachers to change around the lessons so that I can go do my shifts. And I would just do like my computing lessons in the morning. Um, I would potentially try and get history and geography was a little bit harder to change around, but computing was always in the afternoon. So I'd try and move it into the morning. And I would just say to my uh, teacher at the time, do you know what? I'll do all the work. It's fine. Give me the syllabuses and I'll just go through it on my own, which he agreed to do. Um, and actually ended up with an A and a B for computing. I have no idea how that happened. And two C's for geography and history. Um, but I worked. And so I had that work ethic installed into me that I st started thinking, do you know what? I'd rather work than I would focus on getting really high grades at A-level. And everybody's very different, but I was more money motivated. I wanted a car. I wanted to be able to buy myself nice things. I've always enjoyed going out for food. So I wanted that option in my life. And so working enabled me to do it. And I'd pick up more shifts because I found the work pretty easy, but I was happy to go and do it four hours a day. At weekends, I'd do eight hours a day. And that was kind of why I didn't do so well at A-level. I still got great, it's still fine. Like those marks are still fine. But I was not that bothered about getting into the best university. I wanted to do the subjects that I really enjoyed, which is why I wanted to do a geography and computing degree because they were my favorite subjects. The only university that would do that was Worcester. No other university wanted me to do that degree. There was no option to do that degree. So that's fine. So there we go. That narrowed down my, my choice. And I said, okay, fine, I'll go to Worcester. Got the enough credits by the first year of my A-levels to do that. So in the second year, I didn't need to worry either. My school were pretty unhappy about that. They even spoke to my parents about the fact that I wasn't aiming high enough. And my parents like, she'll do what she wants to do. She always has, she always will. And if she's decided she wants to go to Worcester, fabulous. Um, so I went to Worcester, did my undergraduate degree. In the first two years, I had a bit of a tough time. Uh, I was bullied for my accent, which I didn't, didn't really get. There was a lot of, um, I guess, because I was in the Midlands and people in halls used to slag me off for being Southern and then people started keying my car and things. Such a strange time looking back on it. I was just like, what on earth? But I did have a really good group of, group of friends. I was on the trampolining team and I had friends through geography and I had friends through computing. So I knew a lot of people outside of halls. And so I loved going out. You know what it's like, you go to university, you go out a couple of times a week. I'd transferred from Dorothy Perkins in Bath to Dorothy Perkins in Worcester. So I did pick up weekend shifts, but I wasn't working as hard as 
or as many hours as when I was in Bath because first couple of years of university, you're doing so many different modules that you can't easily negotiate around them. I, I had no option but to attend my classes as they were set out for me. Shock. Um, so because I was going out so much and I wasn't earning as much, I started to fall into a huge deficit running up my overdraft, running up my overdraft, running up my overdraft. By the end of my second year at university, I was at the end of my limit. Uh, I'd got into the bank, asked them, can I please just have 50 more pounds so I can get home? And they said, no. So I'd phone my dad and be like, dad, um, can you just pay me some petrol to come home for the summer and then I'll figure it out. And, uh, my my parents were always very good at being like, you earn money. You go out and earn money. You were given a maintenance loan for university. Use that. Start trying to learn how to use that properly. I didn't. I just wanted a good time. I wanted the best of all worlds, but that's standard for me. Um, so I'd got back, to, got back to Bath and I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to get myself out of this situation? I can't do anything. Um, and what ended up happening was for the whole summer, I worked seven days a week. I did six days a week at a re as a receptionist for Future Publishing, who uh, run a lot of magazines because they needed cover for the summer holidays. And then on a Sunday, I was a supervisor for Dorothy Perkins in Bath. And I just worked my way out of my hole that I'd got into with money. Come the third year of university, I was like, well, I'm not doing that again. Um, so I started applying for jobs and lo and behold, landed myself a job as a letting agent for Belvoir Lettings in Worcester. Um, and the reason that I got that job was because mine was the only application with no spelling mistakes in it. And I remember Steve, the manager of that Braj was like, Natasha, well, you're a bit young, you've got no experience, but you didn't make any spelling mistakes, which shows your attention to detail. Sure, come and work for us. And he offered me four days a week, uh, 9am to 1pm. So I was going to do all the morning, I was going to do the admin for him until I'd learned enough about letting agents where he said we could have a look at um, maybe give me some extra hours which then meant because I got that job I had to pick lectures that were going to fit in the afternoons and evenings so yet again I was back in the situation where work had come first and I was um, I was going to study in the afternoon so that was the start of my property career Turns out I was quite good at it, really enjoyed speaking to the landlords who would come in, really enjoyed speaking to the tenants. Um, I would I'd be answering the phones in the morning, being quite uh, jolly, going through all of the emails that came in and making sure that people's people were responded to. Then what happened was uh, Steve said to me, well, you're good at this. Do you want to man the office um, all day? I thought to myself, OK, well, can I do that? with my lectures so yet again I started maneuvering around lectures um and I think by third year you don't have as many lectures if you're at an in-person university anyway because you're doing a dissertation so I chose lectures that ran from Monday at 1 30 p.m right the way through to 
9.30 p.m. So I did a whole back-to-back on a Monday, which meant that my the rest of my week was open so I could work full-time as a letting agent. And my agreement was that I would work in the mornings uh, do, answering the phones, doing all of that, arranging everything. In the afternoons, I would still man the phones, but I would have four hours where I didn't need to do any physical admin so I could do my assignments for university in the afternoons and then I would do viewings 5 p.m to 8 p.m and he gave me a company car which thinking back on it like as a young woman it's an amazing place to land in but my gosh um to kind of put landed on my feet through that I then met um a chap called Paul, who had come into the office and said, hey, Natasha, um, I'm looking to rent a place. Something had gone wrong with his roof. So he wanted to move into a rental property. We got chatting. He was a surveyor. Um, I didn't have any properties on my books, but I was asking him about his job. He was asking me about my job. What was I going to do once I left university? I guess it would. he just sat in there for a chat and I was always, I'm always happy for a chat always, always happy for a chat. That's not changed throughout the whole of my life. Love it. Um, And he said to me, well, my wife and I are looking for a babysitter, Natasha. How about you come and babysit for me? You haven't got a property, but sure, I need a babysitter. I was like, well, I need money. Um, I'm very money motivated. I'll come and babysit for you. Went and babysit, sat for them, his three boys, uh, his lovely wife. The family was just a really nice family. And after a couple of weeks, he said, Natasha, what are you doing after university? And I had also been spending a lot of time applying for jobs. I was 42 applications in for graduate roles and different things. I thought I wanted to go into mapping. I thought that I wanted to go into GIS. I'd been looking at different jobs. It was the back end of the recession and there was nothing out there. It was like a ghost town. I would get to around three of interviews. You know, the stupid interviews where... Um, they're like, let's test your math scores. Let's test your, well, I don't know, whatever else it is. Uh, if you've been on interviews where it's just phone interviews and they want to ask you questions and then based upon the results, the answers that you give, they make a decision on your personality. I was getting a bit frustrated with it. And a couple of times into babysitting, he said to me, Natasha, do you want to be a surveyor? I was like, I don't know what a surveyor is. He said, go away, go check that out. Um, come back and tell me if it's something you'd be interested in. I said, okay. I went away, did some research, came back. Still didn't really know what a surveyor was, but understood that they were governed by the RICS and it was property related. So I was like, fine, you know what, I'll give it a go. And he said, great. My friend in London has a job opening. Do you want to interview for it? I was like, okay. Um, so I said, yes. Then what happened was um, his friend in London was passing through Birmingham. And he said, do you want your interview at Birmingham New Street Station? It's like, okay. So I went to Birmingham New, New Street Station met with my uh met with this guy he told me about the job as being becoming a property manager i still didn't really know but you know i was i was a letting agent so fine like probably similar 
didn't realise that it was going to be a predominantly commercial job. It, and I was in resi, but, you know, at this point, I needed a job after I finished university. I said to him, I'm going to go travelling the US for a couple of months. And then when I'm back, I could start. And he was like, OK, well, I'll just let you know during the summer. So whilst I was traveling around the US, I'd saved up a lot of money because as you are now aware, I'd been working full time. It was the first time I was on a salaried paycheck. I was loving life. I had a lot of money back in my bank account. I'd saved a huge amount. And actually, like funnily enough, I'd only saved 5,000 pounds, but 5,000 pounds got me around the US for three months. I, I still remember that the return flights to the US for 275 pounds. I flew into New York three months later, flew out of San Francisco and I got down to Mexico. I actually don't know how that happened thinking back on it because definitely cost far more than that to live in this country. But anyway, um, yeah, halfway through traveling, got the email, Natasha, would you like to start in London? I was like, hell yeah. Got myself a job, pretty good salary. And he said to me, I've also got a flat that you can live in discounted. Fantastic. So that was how I fell into surveying. Um, started in London as a property manager. It was a bit of a sink or swim job. My line manager at the time, lovely chap. Um, I think once I joined, he was like, yes, someone to hand this over to because three months later he left. Um. And I got his job, so I was promoted very, very quickly. And I just had to learn on the job. I was looking after huge portfolios. I was looking after an NHS portfolio, massive, massive portfolio. And in my second year of being on that job, I was then put on secondment in the mornings to run the commercial portfolio for the Sloan Stanley estate. In the afternoons, I would then have to go back to my day job and run that estate meanwhile I'd still have two mobile phones for each estate so I'd have to just answer the phone all day every day and then around um 2012-ish uh the chap who'd got me the job in London the guy who lived in Worcester came back to me he said Natasha I think now's the time that you should become chartered and so I looked into all of the options to becoming chartered. I didn't have a regulated degree. So at that point, I, I had made the decision that I was going to go and do my master's. I was going to do my master's in the evening. And thinking back to um, thinking back to when I was at university, well, I'd coped then. I was doing a full-time job and I was studying in the evening. I thought it would be the same, not knowing that master's is a level up. And I was now in such an intense job that it was just sapping everything from me but I did it I uh trooped on through did my master's in the evening worked a day job during the day by this point I'd started investing in property um and the reason I'd started investing in property is because my client at the NHS portfolio sat me down one day and said Natasha you go do this for yourself and so I did and bought my first property for £200,000, a top floor flat in Notting Hill. I've still got it to this day because, actually, it's the one we're going through Notting uh, Leasehold Tribunal on. I mean, it's a bit of a schlep, but my gosh, that what a good price to buy it for. And so that's kind of where I cut my teeth as a surveyor. Um, it was freaking hard. 
I had so many, so many issues, timing, like trying to be perfect, trying to look after all these tenants, trying to study, trying to do my ABC. My gosh, like so much was going on during that time. It feels like a bit of a blur. Um, I bought my first property in 2011. During that time, I was also dealing other properties. I was doing, I'd met Chris during that time. Chris and I had bought our first property. I was doing my APC to become a chartered surveyor. It was crazy between 2010 and 2016. It was just a blur of becoming a chartered, chartered surveyor, doing my master's, being an asset manager, running these huge portfolios, trying to make everybody as much money as I possibly can. And come 2016, I hit burnout. I was like, okay, this isn't how I want my life to go. This is not how I want my life to go. And at that point, I made the decision that I was going to start my own firm of surveyors and it was going to be on my terms. And I also very much believed that all of the different strategies that I'd learned through implementing them on, on my clients' portfolios, that needed to go into the, um, that needed to really go into my, uh, into smaller portfolios as well, because I'd been trying to go to networking events for property investors, but, and small property investors, the ones who were not big landed events, estates, sorry, it was like the one person things. I went to PPN Net uh yeah a ppn event or a pin event i forget which one it is but a couple of them in london and it just really wasn't that fun and also i was coming across people who really didn't seem to know how to do things properly and it felt a bit amateur to be honest and so i thought well i could set up a, a firm of surveyors which taught these small town landlords how to implement things properly i can be their asset manager but I could do it from a different angle rather than them employ me and me just being one person who did it on everybody's portfolios. I don't want to get bogged back down into all of that. Let me impart my knowledge and work with them so that they're able to do it themselves and they're able to outsource. But still, they've got me as that person to ask questions to because I'd seen so much, so much. Um, over my six years of doing that in industry and was very competent at it, at it. And I'd started mentoring for other APC candidates and I had also then got my lecturing job as well. So I was sharing this knowledge and become very, com com very confident at, actually, this is how you set things out so people learn. This is how you set things out so people implement. And this is your communication skills that you need to make sure that you've got that trust trusting relationship with the, your client. And that was where NC Real Estate came in because that is was my firm of surveyors. All of a sudden, I was in control and steering the ship of my business. And I got to set up a firm of surveyors who do that background support, give you honest opinions. Far too often I've come across people who had obviously been told to do something because it was making the other person money. Whereas I really strongly believe that my job is to get my clients the most amount of money that they can possibly get from a transaction. And if things are going sideways, I need to make sure that they are going to 
be able to turn that around. Essentially, I have to minimize losses. That has got to be my job and my clients have to be far more successful than I ever will be. That's what that's what people pay me for, right? You wouldn't want, you wouldn't pay me to become mediocre. You'd pay me to be the best. And I think that's where sometimes things slip. And so taking that belief system and thinking, okay, how can I achieve the best for my clients? How can I make sure that they buy property that regardless of what happens, they end up coming out of it stronger than they are today? And yes, property does go wrong. I'm not going to say it's easy. It definitely isn't easy. We have to jump through hoops and jump through hoops and jump through hoops. But at the time that they sell it or the time that they pass it on to somebody else, they think, yeah, actually, I had a good run with this. How do we get everybody that I work with through that? And I didn't want to just do it for one or two people. I wanted to go out to as many people as possible and share this knowledge. And that was why I created the Members Club. That is where that comes from, because that enables me to give as many people as possible the opportunity to be so successful in property and not from doing one cookie cutter strategy. Uh -uh, We don't do that. We look at your goals and I think, hmm, how can we make this work for you? Because as I harp on about time and time and time again, what property works for me, you might not buy. The same as what property works for you you may not, I wouldn't buy, but I can still advise you on it because I know what you're aiming for. I know what you're trying to get. And I also know what you enjoy doing because there is no chance that you would buy something that you found annoying or irritating, or you weren't passionate about it because there's nothing for you to get out of bed for. But if we can put in place strategies that you will get out of bed for, very different. And so using that knowledge and using that information and knowing that for all of my clients, this isn't a day job, this is their ticket to whatever they want to do next, that's how I built my business because I understand that it's important to signpost people but also to be there as that point of contact to ask a question and to get the reassurance to have someone behind you who's going to cheer you on through. And so I decided that by doing that with my firm, I was going to change the industry. And that is what I am so set on doing. Now, that is a kind of, that's a brief, in a nutshell, how I've got to where I was or where I am right now. And that keeps changing. You know, I've had to work 18 to 20 hour days just to get through everything that I have to do on my to-do list. And reflecting on that through COVID has really made me think about how I can do this in, in a more efficient way. And that's why I keep reshaping the members club because I love lecturing. I love the members club. I love doing all of that. And everything is about balance. Now, none of what I have achieved today has been necessarily the easiest way of doing it. And Do I think that I would go back and redo my master's? And do I think being a surveyor has given me that leg up? Definitely it has. Doing your master's versus in surveying versus, um, you know, going out and just getting education is very different because there's a difference between the theory and the technical. And you want both in order to be a really successful um, surveyor. So I would definitely do it. If you just want to be an investor, you don't necessarily need to do the university degree. 
And I actually would have done my undergrad again because, do you know what? Looking back, I got an undergraduate degree and I worked and I managed to get myself out of a hole again. So this is what has brought me to here. And I want to give you, I wanted to share that with you today because I thought it would be useful for you to know why I do what I do. And of course, if we ever sat down together and had a conversation about it, we could go into far more detail, but that's the overview. And that is why I am here. That's why I run NZ Real Estate. And that's how I've become the property professional that I am today. So I hope that's been useful for you. As I said, Members Club is open now. Go and click on the link if you want to join. £63 a month and it will always be that price for as long as you stay a member. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.